Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, November 29th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on today's financial show, we're talking insurance with a special guest. Daniel Schreiber is the co-founder, CEO, and chairman of Lemonade, a modern-day insurance company aiming to disrupt the industry through behavioral economics as well as technology like machine learning and artificial intelligence. Recently, our own Matt Frankel sat down with Mr. Schreiber to talk more about the state of the industry today, how Lemonade aims to disrupt it, and much more. We hope you enjoy their conversation. I am joined by Lemonade founder, co-founder and co-CEO, I believe I got the title right, Daniel Schreiber. How are you, Daniel? Great. Good to be with you, Matt. Excellent. So Lemonade's one of our favorite stocks to talk about on the show and one of our favorites to cover at The Motley Fool. But for those who might not be familiar, Lemonade's an insurance company. And I'll let you go ahead and uh, give a quick description of what makes Lemonade different than the rest of the insurance companies. Sure. Um Lemonade's a young company where we've been in market just over five years. And what we do is we really bring all the best of social sciences and computer sciences to this sector that has had precious little of either. And what that translates into is if you're buying renters insurance, homeowners insurance, pet insurance, life insurance, car insurance, you can do it in a matter of seconds. You get, get, can get paid in a matter of seconds, all from the comfort of your mobile device. If you're making a claim, you hold up the device, you take a video of yourself, and you can get paid in as little as three seconds. And leftover money goes to charity. So there is a social impact dimension where a certified B Corp and trying to align interests with our customers and using charities as a way of uh, diffusing some of the um, distrust uh, that really plagues the industry today is pretty central to what we do at Lemonade as well. So why has it taken so long to disrupt the insurance industry? I mean, insurance has been a, a, a terrible process for, for decades. This isn't a new problem. So why has it taken companies so long to really dig into this? I guess things have been going pretty well for the insurance companies. So if you're the CEO of one of the incumbents, the last thing in the world you want is to rock the boat. <clears throat> you were built 100, 150, 200 years ago on the best that there was to offer back then, but you would never architect your business for the 21st century using 18th century technologies. And that's what they had to do. So they had no interest in upsetting the apple cart, so to speak. And for newcomers, it's been um, surprising. I agree with you. This is such a vast industry, unloved by consumers, but used by all of them. And that just screams out for disruption and for innovation. But it's also been scary for technologists. So um, even we, when we started uh, down this road, investors were saying to us, you don't get insurance, you don't know insurance, you come from other worlds. Um, and there's this halo of it's too regulated, too capital intensive. And those kind of barriers were set up and, and deterred a lot of people, I suspect. Is that kind of why you started with renter's insurance? It's one of the things that's always been on my mind. Is it because it's kind of a, a lower price point? Is it because it was targeting the millennial generation? Is it that, that's already kind of tech savvy? Is it or is it all of the above? Yeah, so a central plank of our strategy is to target consumers when they are first-time buyers of insurance. So if you've watched TV for more than five minutes in the last month, you were hit with a TV commercial that said, switch and save. And that really is the central plank, the strategy of all the insurance companies. 
in all different forms and fashion. You know, 15 minutes can save you 15% or Liberty Mutual and all of those guys. We're playing a different sport. We are not trying to take customers from other people. We're trying to attract first-time buyers of insurance. And about 90% of our customers are first-time buyers of insurance. And renters tends to be the on-ramp into the world of insurance. So that is really the best way to attract young consumers, first-time buyers. And then as they go through life cycle events, they move from renting to that condo, to the home in the suburbs, they, they buy a car, they have kids, they want life insurance, all of those things, they, they acquire pets. All of those things really mean that their spending on premium is likely to 10X and 10X again over the subsequent years. So get them young, delight them, and they'll stay with you for life is really our strategy. Is that how you got to a million customers in you know, a fraction of the time of anybody else? Is it I have to think that the low price point has something to do with it, but um, is it kind of the, the you're getting the, these customers when they're first entering the insurance market? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that the the thing that attracts consumers to Lemonade is a cocktail made up of value that you just spoke about, values and experience. And if you take those apart on value, our renters insurance um, really allows first-time buyers of insurance to save roughly 50%, not 15, five zero percent So you can see dramatic savings by buying lemonade as, to, as opposed to someone else. And that's because it's all digital, no brokers, no middlemen. Um, and there's just a lot of collapsing of costs, not at the expense of the experience, but to the delight of the customers. So that's the second plank is you end up buying insurance in 90 seconds, getting paid in three, doing it from the comfort of your pajamas. So you're hitting the value you're hitting the experience and then the values piece, the distrust of insurance companies is deeply rooted in the sense that you're in a zero sum conflict with your insurance company. They make money by denying your claims. And we worked with the really world leading behavioral economists in the early days to try and restructure insurance so that it wouldn't have that. And changing a two player bilateral conflicted game into a trilateral game by bringing nonprofits into the room and saying that underwriting profits will go to nonprofits. And that kind of weaving in social impact into the base product is of great attraction, I think, to all consumers, but to younger consumers disproportionately. So you just mentioned that uh, excess underwriting profits are donated to charity. At the end of the day, this is a business for investors. Where This is a show for investors. You know, you're, you're in business to make money, obviously. Um, so ha- where does Lemonade's profits come from? Can you walk us through kind of the split on where if, say, I pay my renter's insurance premium, where does the, the money go? Absolutely. And while we do give money to charity in our last give back, it's an annual event. We give about $2 million to charity. I never apologize to my investors for the fact that we give money to charity because I think it's a creature to shareholder value. I'd see very, no, very little that is noble about taking shareholders' money and giving it to charity. Being generous with other people's money is, is no generosity at all. Um, so... What we're really doing is using the give back, using charity in order to solve a business problem of distrust and consumers um, not wanting to buy insurance from you, not staying loyal to you. All of these things get solved by changing the nature of the game and, and give back is part of that. But in answer to your question, you give us $100, um, 75 cents on those dollars are going to come back to you in one form or fashion either because you make claims and you collectively, a million people give us $100. You know. So either because you make a claim and then we will give back the money to you as part of the claim payout, or if there's money left over out of that 75%, we will then give it to a charity of your designation. So um, one way or another, we consider it your money 
um, with a capital your, <laughs> a plural your, but 75% is going back to our customers one way or the other. 25% is retained by us. And that 25% has to cover our expenses um, and allow us to eke out a profit as well. Now, traditional insurance companies have what's known as an expense ratio of about 30%, give or take, which means that for every dollar, about 30% goes on their expenses. So if we were going to be as inefficient as everybody else, we would never make a dime. But already today among the incumbents, the most efficient have a 14, 15% expense ratio. So companies like Geico, Progressive, USAA, who are really the best of the bunch. And if you assume that we even don't do any better than them, we just go toe-to-toe with the best of the incumbents, I think we'll be able to better them, uh, do better than them or best them, um, you'd still see a 10% net profit. And that's before you have all the things that insurance lives on, like investment income and other products that you can layer on top of the core product. So that gives you a sense of where the money goes. That, that answered a really important question for me, um, the, the investment income question, because that's something I don't really hear about too much when it comes to Lemonade. I hear, I've heard the 75-25 before. But so you are you know, planning on building up a portfolio and generating investment income and having that be a significant source of future revenue, correct? You know, it, it's interesting because if you speak to a traditional insurance company, that is the source of right. income. Um, their combined ratio, which is the loss ratio plus the expense ratio, tends to hover at around 100. So there's nothing left. There's very thin, thin margins. Um, but for us, we expect to be making much healthier margins. Our gross margins today tend to be in the low 20s. So we do see ourselves as operating with a healthy margin before you come to investment income. And in our thinking, investment income is on top of our core business model. It's not a substitute for it. We think of ourselves more as a tech company, as a platform that takes a margin for transactions rather than simply an investment income based insurance company. Okay. And I mentioned earlier that the insurance business has taken decades to disrupt, but now that they're get, now that we're getting there, you're not the first, the only company doing this. Um, there, there are other tech-focused insurance companies out there. You're acquiring one of them, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but what makes Lemonade different from all of these other insure tech companies that have that have sprung up over the past few years? Sure, I, mean, I have to say that my um, I'm continuously surprised by how few there are. <laughs> so, given that the, the how encumbered the incumbents are and how big the prize is at the end of the rainbow, you'd have thought that there'd be a lot more people fighting this good fight. So that's some relief um, to us that the, the competitive landscape actually hasn't developed all that aggressively. When we launched Lemonade, we kept looking over our shoulder, expecting there to be a, a horde of other startups chasing us down and that never fully materialized. So if you think about you know, in the life insurance space, you could name one or two companies, you could probably name Ladder Life, um, maybe Ethos, you'd struggle to name a third. In the home insurance space, you'd name Hippo and you'd stop, you, you wouldn't name a second. In the car insurance space, after we acquire Metro Mile, there's one left, it's Root. In the health space, you'd name Oscar, you're really actually, it's really slim pickings. Um, but I'd say two or three things in direct answer to your question. One is that this is such a stunningly big marketplace that we wish all of the other insurtechs tremendous success. Our success is not dependent on their failure. They can be hugely successful and that really doesn't impinge on our potential at all. So we wish them well. We are really combating the incumbency, which is so huge, trillions of dollars. That's where our eye is focused, not on other insurtechs. But there are significant differences between us and the other insurtechs. I think the most striking one ties back to what I said earlier about our strategy of acquiring customers young and then growing with them. 
all of the other insurtechs that I just listed and that I can think of are monoline businesses. They do just life insurance, just home insurance, just car insurance, which means that they are this pure play in a single line. We don't know how you make that successful. At least we, we didn't want to fight that fight because customers tend to buy multiple products from the same insurance company. And we see that today with our homeowner's insurance. The inability until recently to offer car as a bundle meant that we were operating in that space with one hand tied behind our back because we were sending consumers off to State Farm to get their car insurance and State Farm quickly offered them a bundle and you'd see some, some churn through that. So the pure plays and everybody else in this marketplace is a pure play is a strategy that we we struggle to understand and I, I wish them well. I'm sure they'll they'll make the most of it, but hard for me to see how you make a success as a pure play company in this space. And you just mentioned State Farm. So on that kind of note, what would prevent a state farm from replicating your business model? <laughs> um, I chuckle. <laughs> uh, where to begin? Um, we've learned um, we've learned a lot of respect for incumbents like State Farm. Um, so I, I laugh not because they're not uh, tremendous companies with great heritage led by fabulous people. They are all of those things, but because the challenges that they face in the 21st century are incredibly tough, may even be kind of insurmountable in the long term. So if you're State Farm or Allstate or Farmers or any of these companies with State and Farm in their name, um, you are you have tens of thousands of brokers. You took the job as the CEO thinking that that was a tremendous asset and a you know, defensible barrier to competition. And now you're wondering whether that asset isn't really a liability in the era of direct-to-consumer digital distribution. And now you've got channel conflict and you can't really go digital and it's holding you back rather than propelling you forward. You were told all these wonderful stories about the technology that you built up since the 1980s. Um, and now you come in and you realize that this is just an albatross around your neck what you want is a black box, what you've got is a black hole and you keep pouring money into it and nothing really good comes out of it. We've spent decades grooming a team for legacy preservation because you're a 200 year old company and you thought that the going was good and it would continue that way. And suddenly you're faced with digital disruption and the need for business transformation and you just don't have the culture, you don't have the people. And frankly, talking to investors, you don't have the investor base. I've spoken to some CEOs of the largest companies who see the writing on the wall. They say to me these amazing sentences like, Daniel, I fancy your chances more than I fancy my own, which is a stunning thing to hear from some of the largest insurers in the world. And when you spend time with them, you understand that even though they know what needs to be done, it would be a huge disruption to their existing business. And they won't get support from their shareholders because they have shareholders who don't read The Motley Fool. They've got shareholders who are these large institutions that just want their stable 5% dividend year in, year out, and will not support strategies that involve transformation. So they are hemmed in from their culture, from their technology, from their shareholders. Um, it's the classic innovator's dilemma. I, I see why you chuckled when I asked that. <laughs> um, so you mentioned investors. I know, I know you don't want to comment on your stock price performance, because if you did, you'd be the first CEO I've ever interviewed that did. Um, but do you think the market has a difficult time valuing your company? Um, a lot of insurers trade for like one-time sales or something to that effect. And I think um, even after recent performance, you're at something like 30 times your sales. Do you think the market kind of struggles with where to, to value you? Um, well, one area of, of struggle or confusion is actually embedded in, in your question as well, which is what exactly are you multiplying by? So 
usually you're right, insurers will trade at one times or two times or something between the two, their book, which is, you know, their total premiums. <clears throat> For most insurers, total premiums and revenue are synonyms. So it's kind of the same thing. For Lemonade, it isn't. It isn't. And the reason it isn't is just because of gap accounting practices that don't allow you to recognize premium that is reinsured through a proportional reinsurance treaty. You don't recognize that as revenue. So even though it is part of your premium, if you choose to reinsure it in a particular way, gap accounting practices mean that you don't count that as revenue. We do that to 70% of our book. And what that means is that 70% of our premiums are not recognized as revenue. So if you actually look at our top line, which is enforced premium, which allows you to disregard you know, what kind of reinsurance we have in place, we are at less than 10 times that. So we're something like nine times or eight times, depending on the day and the, the share price. And so it is still a healthy premium, but it's not 30X. It's eight, nine X uh, total book rather than 30X. And that revenue thing can be very misleading. Um, and I think that, you know, why are we getting eight, nine, 10X a book? It's really because nobody's, Nobody who's investing in Lemonade today is investing because of what we have, they're investing on what we might become. So I think this is very much a long-term strategy. I know that certainly the way you at Motley Fool talk about our stock is five, 10-year horizons. And if you believe that insurance is a market that is ripe for disruption, that insurers that will thrive in the 21st century are those that are created in the 21st century, that Lemonade can 10X from where we are and then 10X again and still be a medium-sized insurance company, and that we will end up at that point with lower cost, superior product, superior underwriting, then you can start seeing why actually paying those kinds of multiples today could make a lot of sense in the long term. It may be a smart thing to do. And you really can't compare us to companies that have zero growth when we're growing at close to 100% year on year and say, you know, apples to apples. So clearly those are the drivers of our investor base and, and we welcome that. Well, speaking of growth, I want to pivot to the, the most exciting reason I want to talk to you today is... Uh... Lemonade Car and Metro Mile. Um, you just rolled out Lemonade Car, your auto insurance um, platform. And anyone who's read anything I've written about your company knows that's the part that I'm most excited about going forward. Um, you rolled out in one state, Illinois, I believe it is. Yeah. Um, and it said Tennessee is following soon. Um, why so gradual? Why is a national rollout so difficult? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we've done this with all of our products, I have to say. They've always started with a single state. Um, and the reason, and, and we've moved very quickly, and in every state, you can buy at least one of our products. And in many states, most states, you can buy all of our products. Um, but sadly, tragically, in the United States, there is no federal regulation of insurance. It's all state by state. So we really have to deal with 50, 51, including DC, different regulators, and they all want to go through the process um, and they all approve us at the pace that they approve. So we end up at a good place, but it is staggered. And then we just have the choice of, you know, we got approved by Illinois. Do we wait until there's a critical mass or do we just launch? And our philosophy has always been go as quickly as we possibly can. We're ready to go nationwide. The approvals will come in, I think, with fairly rapid fire now. Um, and of course, the Metro Mile acquisition gives us a lot of licensing coverage as well and should once that closes, and we were several months, maybe six months is my guess, away from closing that, you'll suddenly see a step function increase in how much coverage we have, how many licenses, how much enforced premium. So for the Metro Mile acquisition, there's three real reasons I could see uh, to acquire, just from, from reading through your presentation on it. One is this, the 49 state licenses, which you just mentioned. There is the, the company's proprietary data, um, which is, is massive. 
And then there's their insurance book, which I believe is about $100 million in enforced premium. Um, so can you kind of talk about how those three things really fit into your growth strategy? Absolutely. The overwhelming focus of that acquisition is what you call the data, but more, more broadly, that the system that they have built in order to understand and price and underwrite risk at a level of granularity that nobody else really can. So the way insurance, car insurance works today in the United States almost entirely, I'm, I'm generalizing, but only a little bit, is based on proxies. So I ask you for, you know, I get your credit score, I ask you for your gender, your age, your education level, I'm even going to ask you your marital status, and it turns out that all of those things are correlated to what kind of a risk you represent on the roads today. So it's statistically sound, but it really means grouping large swaths of humanity into a monolithic group because they all have the same credit score or the same gender. What MetroMile has done in a way that I think is unmatched, certainly in the United States, possibly worldwide, is they said, we're not interested in, in credit score correlations to, to driving. We want to get down to the most granular level we can. We want to be able to price at the level of one mile driven by this person. And then you can aggregate it up, but we want to get down to really granular pricing, looking at how much you drove, how you drove, getting granular data at several hertz. So multiple times a second, they are polling uh, their technology to see whether you're driving, where you're driving, what time of day you're driving, how you're driving, all that kind of stuff. And that creates just an incredible detailed textured map of what represents what kind of risk. And it's invisible to the incumbency entirely. They haven't been pricing this way. They don't have these data sets. They can't price at that level of precision. Now, car insurance is a massively competitive market. We have nothing but respect for the, the, the companies we're coming up against, the Geikers, the progressors of this world, fearsomely impressive. And I think left our own devices, we would get there. It would be a multi-year process. We would launch, we would let our system and our telematics and our sensors collect the data. When we got critical masses, we'd be able to find the correlates between all of those signals and claims. But it would be an expensive road to go down because while you're learning, you're turning out that you're mispriced, you're underwriting imprecisely, and therefore you're being hammered along the way. We will still have some tuition fee to be paid, no doubt. But I think MetroMile shortens that tremendously. And that's really the overarching thing. If you think about the strength that Lemonade brings to car insurance, the product, the design, the marketing, the bundling, we've got tremendous assets that I think give us a huge competitive advantage, but we lack the heart, which is pricing and underwriting insurance for car with precision. If you think about MetroMile, they're almost the mirror image of that. They don't have bundleable products. Their marketing has been okay, but this is what they are. They are a data science company, focus on car insurance. You combine the two, you end up with something pretty powerful. That at least is the theory. You layer on top of that, the fact that they've got a quarter of a billion dollars in the bank, 49 state licenses, an incredible skilled workforce. And you just see the, the, the value of the deal uh, accruing, you know, I, I think in a way that is extraordinary. Yeah, it's, speaking of the value of the deal, since you announced it, your, your stock price has fallen, which is important because it's an all stock deal. So if I'm doing the math, you're paying just a little bit over what the cash that MetroMile has right now. So is this just a real steal or am I missing something about the, the, the terms of the deal or anything like that? 
You're not missing anything in the terms of the deal. I think that for Lemonade, this is an extraordinarily good deal. Strategic, um, affordable, um, a, a bit of a game changer. So I think for us, it is a stupendous deal. But I have to tell you, I think this is a win-win. I think if you're a shareholder of Metromile, this is a stupendous deal for you too. Because the path that you were on was a tough one. And there's a reason why their stock price was, was struggling. Because when you don't have a lot of capital and you've got a depleted stock price, you don't have access to a lot of capital, and you don't have an install base that, that you can upsell and cross-sell to, um, that all of those things really do put a, a ceiling pretty low on, on what you can do or makes it very difficult or risky. So I think that for us, this is a tremendous unlock. The 19 to 1 ratio was brought by taking their price, our price, and just looking at the, the market value. So this wasn't some big dis discount. It was actually a premium to where their stock was already trading. So we weren't in, in any way taking advantage. We were actually paying a premium to their stock price. And then you think about if you're a Metromile shareholder, will your investment likely be worth more because of this deal over time? And I would argue emphatically that it will. It suddenly unlocks 1.4 million customers that can buy this technology. It unlocks homeowners that you can bundle with. It unlocks a brand that is better known and available in more states. And it allows you not to duplicate all the spend on all the technology of running an insurance company. So there are tremendous efficiencies to be had there, there as well, which is why, as I say, I think great deal for us, but a compelling deal for the Metromile shareholder base as well. Okay. And I know we have to let you go soon, but I just have a couple more questions left. Please. Um, so I know uh, the car insurance is probably the most exciting opportunity, but it's not the only other uh, insurance vertical you've launched recently. Uh, life insurance launched, I want to say about a year ago, a little more than a year ago. And it's only about 2% of your business right now. Why hasn't that caught on in the way that you hope Lemonade Car will? It's a great question. Yeah, I think it launched slightly under a year ago, but thereabouts, so 45 weeks ago, something like that. Um, so a couple of things to say about that. One is, um, by some yardsticks, it's actually doing very well. So of course, our denominator is now pretty big. So to become 2% of something pretty big becomes increasingly difficult. If I just map out the growth rate of our first launch product, renter's insurance, and I have this on the dashboard, its growth curve and the growth curve of, of, of um, life insurance since we launched it over those last 45 weeks. Life insurance is actually 3x where renters was at this point. So that's just one point to bear in mind. The denominator can be confusing when I strip that away and just look in absolute dollar terms, our life insurance is generating three times what our renters insurance, which is our bread and butter was at the same stage. That said, uh, and, and it's doing it at 90 plus percent gross margins because we don't write on our own paper. We're not licensed to do life insurance on our own paper. We are reselling an insurance product that is on somebody else's paper, which means it's pure margin, which is also pretty interesting. But having said that, life insurance is, and we knew this to be the case, we even spoke about it at a launch investor meeting, um, shareholder letter and, and investor call. Um, life is a very tough business. Um, the the insurtechs that have tried to do well on a standalone basis, just with life insurance, have struggled. The, the customer acquisition costs are very high. And this has been a, a market where we haven't seen pure play digital players do all that well, with very few exceptions. Um, so for us, this was predominantly about rounding out the offering for our, insure, for our insureds, making sure that that thesis about getting them young and then catering to their totality of their needs over time is fulfilled in full. And because it's not a, a paper, it's not on our paper, because it's something that we are reselling technically, the experience is still pure lemonade, but from an accounting or plumbing point of view, 
it's written on somebody else's paper. That also means that the work with the regulators is mediated by a third party, which makes it quite cumbersome. So for all of those reasons, we think it's doing exactly what it needed to do. It's growing faster than renters. Customers are bundling. Um, and I think that would be the, remain the central way in which they buy life insurance is they'll come in for renters or for home or for car or for something else. And they'll add that on as opposed to the more native on-ramps. So pet insurance is two thirds new customers on-ramping. That's true for renters. That's I think gonna be true over time for car. And then we get cross sales in all the directions. That's how what we've seen in the other products and what I anticipate happening going forward as well. Okay, and uh, last one, I'll give you the last word here. Um... Let's fast forward 10 years. You mentioned we're long-term investors here at The Motley Fool. So 10 years from now, it's 2031. Where is Lemonade? So our, our, our mission is to become um, an iconic brand for the 21st century and really to become the dominant brand in the insurance space. Insurance creates these companies that last for centuries, do $100 billion. Um, that's the prize. That's what we're going for. I think whether it's for 10 years or 20 years, but our goal will be over the coming years to 10X our business and then to 10X it again. So you're talking about going from something that's approaching $400 million of enforced premium to 4 billion to 40 billion. And at that point we'll be a medium sized insurance company, but over the time horizons that you're talking about, that will be what we wanna do 10X and 10X again. So to 100X our business. It's amazing to think that we could 100X our business and still be half the size of State Farm. So <laughs> just gives you a sense of how much headroom we have that we could grow 100-fold and still be half the size of State Farm. Um, and we do want to get to that point. It's not just about growth. We want to get to that point when we are best in class in terms of automation and therefore cost structure, best in class in terms of brand and therefore loyalty and customer satisfaction, and best in class at pricing and underwriting risk because we're built on this digital substrate. Thank you so much for joining me. This was a great conversation. Hope to have you back soon. Thanks, Matt. Bye for now. And that'll do it for us this week, folks. You can learn more about Lemonade by going to Lemonade.com. Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus or drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.